0: I bet you'll be glad you did. So today we're looking at Acts chapter 10, verses 24 through 35. And while you're turning over there on your Bible app or with your Bible in front of the pew or just preparing to listen, I want to just say welcome. If you're listening to this service by live stream today, we're glad that you're a part of us in some way. And uh, we hope that you're having a great day so far and that it just gets... Better and better from here. Acts chapter 10. We're continuing with our February theme of love lifted me, and today, maybe even lifting us out of our comfort zone a little bit. Picking up in verse 24. The following day, they came to Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them, and his relatives and close friends. On Peter's arrival, Cornelius met him, and falling at his feet, worshipped him. But Peter made him get up, saying, Stand up, I'm only a mortal. And as he talked with him, he went in and found that many had assembled. And he said to them, You yourselves know that it is unlawful for a Jew to associate or to visit with a Gentile, but God has shown me that I should not call anyone profane or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. Now may I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius replied four days ago at this very hour at three o'clock. I was praying in my house when suddenly a man in dazzling clothes stood before me. He said, Cornelius, your your, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send, therefore, to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying at the home of Simon, a tanner, by the sea. Therefore, I sent for you immediately, and you've been kind enough to come. So now, all of us here in the presence of God, uh, to listen to you, all that the Lord has commanded you to say. Then Peter began to speak to them. I truly understand That God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I have a cousin who plays lacrosse on his high school lacrosse team. And I saw pictures of him that my other cousin posted on Facebook and it, it... I don't know, it looked like fun. I have to tell you, I don't know a thing about lacrosse. I think it's something like field hockey except that you have a stick with a net at the end of it and you it looked like fun. I don't know anything about it. I prefer baseball or football, but the American version of football, not the European version of football, which will always be soccer to me. Okay? And You know, I I love people that play soccer, but I want to confess to you, I have an unreasonable attitude of dislike toward the game. And it's not the game's fault. Again, I have family and I have friends that love it and enjoy it so much. But my high school football coach just ruined me for the game. And here's how that happened. In the off season, our high school football coach thought it would be a great idea for all of us to play soccer. Except that none of us knew anything about playing soccer. This was the seventies and we were kind of out in the country. We didn't know what soccer was. We knew what football was. So we get out on the football field and he just rolls the soccer ball out there and he t- tells us to go for it. I obviously, from the looks of me, am a lineman and not a, a back of any kind. And so I was not then and I am not now. Fleet of foot. I'm not made that way, okay? I'm, you know, I just know my limitations. So here's what it was like for me. It was like, here's big ol' me, standing there watching all of the smaller, faster guys run back and forth up, down the field, kick the ball with delight. And all I did was stand there and wonder why I couldn't tackle them. I'm supposed to be able to tackle this. This is my only advantage, okay? I don't know. Again, it's unreasonable, I know. It's not reasonable. And it's just a matter of preferences. Some people like this, some people like that. Preferences are preferences. And sometimes it's not a problem that people just like different things. But I've got three things I want to talk to you about this morning. And then after we talk about those three things, to talk about uh, the Apostle Peter and the other main character in this story, a guy named Cornelius. So, Here's the first one. Have you ever thought about how we divide ourselves up according to preferences and how that pretty soon we just kind of form a comfortable orbit? We do this in things like sports all the time. Okay, I don't have to tell you that when you go to a sporting event, to a game, you probably are going to want to sit in a section with people wearing the same color jersey and hat that you are Maybe if you paint yourself that kind of thing, I don't know. I don't, you know, some people do. You want to sit in basically the same group of colored wearing people shouting for the same team that you're shouting for. Don't you? Especially if you're buying season tickets, you want to make sure where your seats are going to be because here's what I've noticed if you sit in a place where the people are wearing a different colored jersey yelling for a different team and you're the only one, It gets a little awkward. Depending on how much yellow hammer punch has been consumed, it could be real awkward. We do it with clubs and organizations. Some people like this and some people like that one. We do it with politics. Don't even get me started how we do it with politics. We divide ourselves. We divide ourselves we divide ourselves most of all with religion lord help us if the 11 o'clock hour on sunday morning is not the most divided time of any other time during the week we just do it that way don't we we do we for instance are here at this place at this time in this very beautiful place in time to worship god in a A way that's just a little bit unique and different from maybe where someone else is gathered to worship at a different place, at a different spot, in a different way. And we do this often enough. This may may not be a regular thing for you yet, but if you do kind of do it often enough, then you you come into what I call an orbit. And what I mean is just kind of by gravitational pull you learn, because you kind of do things... We Methodists are methodical. we methodically do things and we stand up at the same time and we sit down at the same time, and we sing at the same, we pray, we do this and we do that. And you just you don't really have to consciously think about. It. that's what I mean by orbit. You don't consciously have to think it's kind of a gravitational pull. You just kind of go go around with everybody else, okay? And there's probably a psychological or sociological explanation for this kind of grouping that human beings do. I'm not smart enough to understand it or explain it today. I'll just fall back on this, okay? And you know what I mean when I say this. Birds of a feather flock together. And we do because we're comfortable that way. we just comfortable that way. And the second thing is... If we're not careful, I say if we're not careful, then staying comfortable will become our primary mission. Just staying comfortable. And you say, well, Pastor Sam, is that a problem? It is if you're the church. Because we already have a different primary mission. And it's not staying comfortable. It's one that's been given to us by Jesus. He said, Here's what your mission is, people. I want you to go. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, which in what means is bring them into the family of God, teach them to obey what Jesus said, which means help them to start following Jesus too. See, it's those little pesky words like go and all nations, go everywhere. It just pushes us right out of our comfortable orbit. It pushes us right out. And we can say amen to that or we can say oh me to that. It really doesn't matter because the Great Commission is still the Great Commission. And it's still primary, number one thing for us not being comfortable. Getting a little uncomfortable sometimes. Because, you see, this is God's good news. It's too good to seal up in a box. It's too good to hide away behind four walls. It's got to be shared. It's just got to be. It's like the old saying, love in your heart wasn't put there to stay. Love is not love until it's what? Given away. Y'all bought that card at Hallmark too, didn't you? I can tell. It's true, though, sharing. Sharing. Sharing it. Sharing the good news. Talking about sharing the good news, it just makes this makes you co- uncomfortable right now, I can tell. I know. We're Methodists. It makes us always uncomfortable. You know why it makes us uncomfortable to talk about sharing good news? I can tell you why. Because down there, you know, where you go across our, our beautiful, famous bridge... Uh, you go across where East Broad runs into I think it's George Wallace Boulevard I'm not sure in front of Dollar General I do know that much Dollar General right there at the corner there's like a crepe myrtle tree or something and on a Saturday morning if it's a pretty day you go out there there'll be some people gathered on that crepe myrtle tree to be a guy with a microphone just preaching his head off at the traffic do y'all know what I'm talking about if you get caught at that red light, then you're gonna hear it. I don't exactly know what it is, but it is coming at you. Yes, right? It's coming at you. Now let me ask you this. Just be honest with me. Would you feel comfortable just doing freestyle street preaching at the corner of East Broad and, and George Wallace? Would you feel you, would you feel comfortable doing that? Raise your hand if you would. Nobody? Me neither, and I'm a preacher, okay? It's just out of my comfort zone. It's out of my comfort zone. But here's the problem. We have convinced ourselves that evangelism or sharing the good news means that we have to shout at the traffic at the corner of East Broad. That's what we have equated that with. And so, therefore, we don't do anything. We just stay in our little orbit. And we don't do anything. We don't even say to somebody, well, just come and go and have some shrimp and grits with me. Even that's out of our comfort zone somehow. We have substituted, if we're not careful, being comfortable as our primary mission. But the third thing is this. It is the comforter... The Holy Spirit, ironically, the Comforter who pushes us out of our comfort zone. It's been that way ever since the book of Acts, ever since the very beginning, ever since the day of Pentecost. And this story that I've read to you from today from Acts chapter 10 about the Apostle Peter and Cornelius is the perfect illustration of this. Because, you know... It's not just us. We're not the only ones that have comfort zones. They had comfort zones too. The first followers of Jesus had their comfort zones. You know why? Because the first followers of Jesus were almost all Jewish. They had grown up from it. For centuries, they had ethnically and religiously divided themselves off into a group that defined them from other groups. It's us and it's them. It's Jews and it's non-Jews. And even among the Jews was a different separated group, a group called the Pharisees, Pharisees being separated ones. They were just used to doing it that way, and because they were divided up that way, there were things that they did, practices they practiced, and things that they certainly didn't do, would never have thought about doing. So when we read a story about the Apostle Peter and think about what he did and what he said— We have to remember, here is a guy that from the time he was little bitty, was taught, there's some things you do, and there's some things you don't do because of how you're divided up. There's some things you eat, and there's some things you don't eat because of the way we're divided off and have been for centuries. You would never think about eating certain kind of foods that were forbidden by Jewish law, for instance, like The things that we love in the South. You would never think about eating barbecue pork. As wonderful as that is, I just wish I had some right now. You'd never think about eating certain types of birds or reptiles. You'd never think about eating catfish because it doesn't have scales. But look. Do not drive by top of the river at certain times on a weekend night or if you're going home from church, because a lot of people don't follow that rule. But Peter did. He wouldn't have thought about doing that. He wouldn't have thought about, here's a big thing, he wouldn't have thought about going into the home of a Gentile. Never would he have thought about doing that. There are just some lines you just don't cross. But then there was that day. See, following Jesus had taught Peter a lot of things. He had learned some of those lessons. He was already staying with a guy who was a tanner. That means he canned dead animal hides, which would have been really yucky to a Jewish man. But he's already staying in Joppa at the home of Simon the tanner. It was getting about lunchtime. And so Peter goes up on the roof. They had flat roofs, of course, back then, and it was just like an extra place because you didn't have much room, wasn't a big house, and if you wanted to have some privacy, you'd go up on a flat roof. He's walking around. He's praying. He's trying to connect with God, and all of a sudden, he's walking on the roof, and Peter goes into a kind of a trance, and he has a vision from God, and, and his vision is like a bed sheet is rolled down out of heaven. And displayed on this sheet were a number of different animals, unclean animals to him. And a voice from heaven says, Peter, kill and eat. If Peter had been from Alabama, he would not have had to be told twice to kill and eat. Hey, we're ready. You want us to kill something and eat it? We will okay but for peter it was crazy peter said something like no way god no way i have never eaten anything unclean and i'm not about to start now and then the voice from heaven said this what god has made clean you must not call unclean And just to make sure that he got the point, God gave him this exact same vision three times. And Peter, when he came out of his trance-like state, whatever, he would, whatever however it was, I'm sure he thought, Phew, that's weird. You know, God is working and doing some things that are kind of uncomfortable here, except that God wasn't just working on Peter over here in Joppa. God was also working over in Caesarea with another guy named Cornelius the day before. Okay, The day before, over in Caesarea, another guy, his name is Cornelius. He is a Roman centurion, which means he was not a Jewish man. He was a Gentile, and in addition to being a Gentile, he was a soldier for the Roman Empire. And he wasn't just a foot soldier. He was a centurion, which by definition means he had a hundred people working under him. He was a non-commissioned officer in the Roman army, which was the occupying army in that land, which everybody hated them because they were the occupying army. The Roman Empire was massive, stretching in that day from the western edge of Asia all the way to the British Isles to the west and then from northern Africa all the way to southern Europe that way. And the Romans ruled with an iron fist and the people of the land hated it. But here's the thing about Cornelius. He was not a Jew but he knew about the God of the Jews And he was a seeker. That's the other thing about him. He was constantly praying, constantly seeking, constantly wanting to connect with God. He not only knew about connecting with God, he knew right from wrong, and he knew how to treat his neighbor. It says he was constantly and generously giving to the poor. I don't know much, y'all, but I do know this. Anyone who is constantly seeking after God is going to find God no matter who they are. Or God will find them, which that happens too. So Cornelius has a vision. He has it before Peter ever has his vision. Cornelius has a vision. And in Cornelius' vision, an angel comes to him and says, Hey, Cornelius, your prayers and your alms given have come up. Before God, have ascended before God. In other words, God has noticed you. Here's what I want you to do, Cornelius take some of your men and send them over to Joppa. By the sea, you'll find a house of a guy named Simon the Tanner. And staying with Simon is another guy named Simon, Simon Peter. And you ask Simon Peter to come to your house. That's it. And Cornelius, being a Roman soldier, knew what it was like to receive orders, and he knew what it was like to give orders. So he received that order from the angel, and he gave the order for two of his servants and one of his best soldiers. Go to Joppa. Found the house of Simon the Tanner, and asked for Simon Peter. And they said, yes, sir. And they went. They went to, to Joppa. They found the house down by the sea. Simon the Tanner, and they knocked on the door and they said, "Hey, um, may we speak to Simon Peter?" Peter comes to the door and he says, "Look, we're here on behalf of Cornelius. Cornelius, our master is a Roman centurion. I know, I know, I know, but look, he's a God-fearing man, and and he is well spoken of by the Jewish community because." He loves their God. And Cornelius wants you, Simon Peter, to come to his house. And now, in this part of the story, Peter does something that was way out of his comfort zone that he would never have even thought about doing if God hadn't spoken to him in that vision on the roof. He says, would you like to come in? And have something Would y'all like to come in and sit at the table with us? How about y'all just spend the night here and we'll get a fresh start in the morning. Wow. Inside of his brain, alarms must have been going off. Peter, you can't do this, man. These guys are unclean. You can't have them in your house. What are you doing? But see, God had already told Peter, Peter, you need to get over yourself, man. I'm doing things you don't even know about, Peter. You need to get over this. So the next day, Peter gets up and he goes back with these three guys back to Caesarea. They go to Cornelius' house. And Peter says from the get-go, he says, I know, look, I know. You don't have to tell me. I know what is lawful, what's unlawful. I know it's unlawful for me to be here. I know what it says, I, I know I've been taught it since I was a kid but God has shown me that I should not call anyone profane or unclean yes. so here I am you sent for me, what do you want? and Cornelius says I need to tell you about what this God of Israel has spoken to me about I had a vision and he goes ahead and tells him about the the vision and he says that's why i sent for you peter now i want you to tell me whatever it is god wants you to tell me i've called all my friends and family we're all here at the house we're just waiting to hear we're just waiting to hear and then peter says what is pastor sam's loose translation of this scene this blows my mind this blows my mind I can now see something I never could see before. Here's what it is. God, are you ready for this? Shows no partiality. But anyone who seeks God and wants to do right will be accepted by God. God shows no partiality. Isn't that easy when it comes off my lips today? How difficult it was in Peter's day. For a man who'd been told all his life that God showed partiality to now say, God doesn't show partiality. Whoever seeks him will find him. What a world-changing... What what a people-changing, world-changing event this day was. Yes. You know... I don't know if we really can feel the weight of this. This now means, and it meant then, and it means today, that people can actually become Jesus followers without first becoming Jewish law followers. Revolutionary. Revolutionary. So here's how the story ends. Peter shares with... Cornelius and with all of his friends and all of his family and all of everybody gathered at that house he tells them about Jesus. Right? He tells them. He tells them about Jesus and what he taught, he tells them about how he lived, he tells them how what it was like to follow him and he tells them. He says Jesus was crucified. I saw the Roman soldiers. Look Cornelius, I know you're a Roman soldier, but I saw the Roman soldiers nailing to the cross. I saw. And he died. He was put in a tomb, and on the third day, he rose from the dead. Conquering death. And in the middle of Peter's sermon, in the middle of his sermon. The Holy Spirit fell on Cornelius' house. And everybody at Cornelius' house received the Holy Spirit just like that upper room on the day of Pentecost. And Peter said, This is Pastor Sam's loose translation My mind is blown again. You guys, you guys, even though you're. Gentiles, even though Cornelius you're a Roman soldier how you just received the Holy Spirit just like me and my friends how can I not baptize you now I can't not say to you, Cornelius to your family welcome to the family of God Cornelius welcome to the family of God and Cornelius and his household were baptized that day young and old no matter what they looked like were baptized into the family of God that day and Cornelius did this he said hey Peter why don't you hang out here at my house and stay with us for a few days and so he did and word of what happened there at Caesarea Started to spread around. They did not have internet, but they had the grapevine. And how many of you know that the grapevine works regardless of whether your Wi Fi is working? The grapevine works great. Word spread around to the followers of Jesus in Jerusalem, and they said something like, Peter did what? At whose house? This will never do. I don't know what he's thinking. And then they saw Peter and they said, What have you done? Do you know how many lines that you've crossed? What were you thinking, man? You can't do that. What makes you think you can do that? And Peter said, Look, man, it wasn't my idea. I wasn't as comfortable with this as you wouldn't be. But you know what? God's doing something here. The Holy Spirit's doing something. I don't know what's happening but I was given this vision and, and then all of a sudden Cornelius, he was given this vision from God and I went to Cornelius' house. I just told him about Jesus. That's all I did. I told him about Jesus and then the Holy Spirit fell on them just like he did on us on the day of Pentecost. So what am I going to do? You know the Holy Spirit is kind of like the wind. That's what Jesus said in John chapter 3. The Holy Spirit's like the wind. The wind blows wherever the wind wants to blow. We don't get to say when and where. We don't get to say on whom the Holy Spirit blows. And you know what happened that day in Jerusalem? They say it can't work this way. That day in Jerusalem, old dogs learned new tricks. Because they said, okay. Okay. You know what? I guess the gospel's for Gentiles too. And 2,000 years later, the people of the likes of me and the people of the likes of you, here we are. Here we are. We get to talk about the good news of Jesus Christ because those first followers of Jesus did not let their comfort zone stand in the way of what the comforter told them to do. Because you know how important this is. You say, oh, well, it's just, it's just like, it's just food. What are you talking about food? Well, look, if the good news is going to spread around to all nations, people at least have got to be able to sit down at the table together without automatically ruling them out. You've got to at least be able to sit down at the table together. 2,000 years later, here we are. 2,000 years later. We still have preferences. We still have divisions. Yes. We still have groups. We, and Lord help us, still 2,000 years later, are convinced that God does show partiality. And, matter of fact, God is partial to me and my group. But God still breaks through. God still breaks through our little comfort zone, our little group, our little circle, because here's the most powerful truth. Those of us who stand in need of the grace of God should never stand in the way of someone else who is in need of the grace of God. The Holy Spirit is like the wind. Even when it makes us uncomfortable, So, I want to invite you to let love lift you out of your comfort zone this week. This week. This very week. Come Wednesday to our our Ash Wednesday service. I can't think of anything more uncomfortable than having someone rub ashes on my forehead, Pastor. Can you? It it kind of gives you the heebie-jeebies to think about it. I can't think of any more uncomfortable words to say to somebody than to say to them, remember that you come from dust and to dust you will return. But what a great way to go into the season of Lent. Being uncomfortable is sort of the point, you know. Have a conversation. This is just an idea. Have a conversation this week that's outside your normal circle. You know the circle. We all run. The normal circle. You're, have a conversation with somebody outside that circle. Sign up to participate in a, in a small group study for the season of Lent. Not forever. You don't have to come forever. Just, just come for the season of Lent to one of our small group studies. Oh, here's something else. Here's something else. I know it makes you uncomfortable. I know, I know. But invite somebody to come with you. But I already asked him one time and they invite him again. You don't have to go down and scream at the traffic at the corner of East Broad and you don't have to do that. Just somebody just say come with me. Come with me. And who knows? Who knows what the Holy Spirit will do? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for leaving the splendor of heaven, wrapping yourself in human flesh, and coming to live in this uncomfortable place called earth with a bunch of people that didn't understand you, Lord, with a bunch of people that were uncomfortable at what you tried to tell them to do. But God, thank you so much. Now, Holy Spirit, comforter, make us uncomfortable today. Call us out of our orbit, Lord. Make us a captive so we can be free. In Jesus' name, amen. That's our closing hymn today. It is 421, Make Me a Captive. Lord, I want to invite you to respond as the Holy Spirit leads you to respond. You can come and pray at the altar today. Pray where you are. But whatever that little uncomfortable nudge that the Holy Spirit